And he says, the boss wants to see you. The boss? I'm like, my boss ain't hardly up in this club. Okay. <laughs> I told my boss, and he definitely is asleep. And so, and they're like, no, 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 the boss. I'm like, oh, and I look around and I see Prince sitting in his area that you imagine what that looks like. So I go over, I have a seat, and he doesn't talk much. He just says, you're doing a great job at the club. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey, everybody, it's Jason Patria, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast. This is the podcast for people just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, own your career, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Now, today, I wanted to talk all about finding a hole and filling it. What do you think I mean by that? Find a hole and fill it. It is the best career advice that I give to people any time they ask. What I mean by that is your career is an entire series of opportunities. There is opportunity all around you. Oftentimes, you just need to find it. So I want you to look out at the landscape that is your career, the landscape that is your industry, the landscape that is the customer segments that you serve, and the landscape of your organization or even your department. What is not happening that needs to happen? And more importantly, what are some of those potholes that if they were smoothed over, your team, your customer, the people that you serve would have a smoother ride. So it's not just about filling any hole. It's about filling those holes that sometimes people don't even know that are there until you fill it with an amazing solution. Now, you've heard me talk all about your talents, passions, and your needs. And this is where I want you to think about your amazing skills and all of those things that you love to do, how can you take the combination of those two things and find needs that need to be filled? Let me give you an example. You know, I have a big passion about travel, and I love traveling to Japan. I actually did foreign exchange there when I was 13 years old. Way back in 1996, I read The Hollywood Reporter, and it had a big announcement. MCA uh, Universal is going to open a theme park in Osaka, Japan. And I just knew I'm passionate about Japanese culture and the Japanese people and all of that great stuff. I knew that I needed to take my passion and that was going to be my goal, but I had no clue how in the world I was going to get there. Well, guess what? I started taking my passions and my talents to say, hmm, 
what hole needs to be filled for this project? And I would I would look at the Studio Insider and I would see on the calendar, oh, um, executives from Coca-Cola Japan are going to be in town. And you know what? I picked up the phone and I called the people uh, in the scheduling office and I said, who's organizing that? Let Patch me through to them. And I would call them and say, hey, you know what? Um, I know that you're giving a tour to the executives from Coca-Cola Japan. You know, I do training here in Hollywood. I'd love to help give a behind the scenes tour if you need that. Guess what they said? They said, that would be amazing because we have the formal tour that our amazing tour guides give. But no one has ever taken these sponsors behind the scenes to actually see what the entire experience and how the sausage is made. That's how it all started. You know, eventually I piled on and I said, hey, you know what? I'd be happy to take them through an abridged version of orientation or how we train people in the guest experience. Later on, when it got closer to hiring uh, temporary staff from our parks in Orlando and Los Angeles, I said, hey, you know what? HR team on the Japan Project, I'm happy to help you place an ad for that. I'm happy to collect resumes because this is the old days when people would actually turn in a physical resume. Well, guess what? After doing all of that, they turned around and said, thank you so much, Jason. Guess what? You're coming to Japan. And I ended up going and doing my expat experience for over a year, helping to open Universal Studios Japan. Quite simply, I propelled my career over a number of years just by finding a hole and filling it. And that is why I wanted to talk to our spectacular guest today. Her name is Sharon Smith Akinsanya, and she is the CEO of Ray McKenzie Group, an award-winning diversity, equity, and inclusion marketing firm. And she's the founder of People of Color Careers Social Hiring Network. Now, let me tell you, Sharon is the queen of finding potholes out there that need to be filled by using her talents and her passions and growing her career and practice. Now, she has been working in the DEI space for over 20 years. She advises Fortune 500 companies and nonprofits, including the Make-A-Wish Foundation, Best Buy, U.S. Bank, Target, and Verizon Wireless. And her book, Colorful, Competitive Strategies to Attract and Retain Top Talent of Color, is loaded with insights from leaders committed to breaking the cycle. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Sharon Smith Akinsanya. Hey everyone, we're all excited to get out of 2020. I want 2021 to be the year that you achieve your next career breakthrough. As I mentioned earlier, this year we've launched the Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program. We have the next small group cohort starting in early January so that you can truly own your career in 2021. Now space is limited and we're currently taking applications. Now this program isn't for everyone, But if you're an A-plus player ready to be known for your best authentic self and get the recognition you deserve, this program is for you. So if you'd like more information, visit us on leadwithyourbrand.com. And we're back. I am super excited to talk to today's guest. It is Sharon smith Akinsanya. Sharon, how's it going? Oh, everything is going great, Jason. How are you? How are you doing today? I am doing spectacular. You're looking so, good, too. I know they can't see you, but I'm just saying. 
<laughs> well, we're just loving on each other because I, I am loving your earrings are giving me life today. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Ooh, if y'all could only see us. <laughs> I know, right? So Sharon, talk to me. When you first meet people who don't know you, how do you explain who you are and what you do? Oh, I just say, you know, my name is Sharon Smith Akinsanya. Nice to meet you. And I work with top corporations and help them do a better job at building stronger relationships with people of color so that they can be in a position to, to attract and recruit and retain top talent of color in the marketplace. What do you Absolutely. Do? Well, I love that you brought that <laughs> elevator pitch down because we talk all about that when we're talking lead, lead with your brand. Now, Sharon, you are also an author. So tell me a little bit about Colorful and, and what you're doing with that message. I am an author. This is my second book. It's called Colorful, Competitive Strategies to Attract Top Talent of Color. And colorful is all about that, making sure that we create more colorful and more diverse workplaces. Because, you know, we all know that when we have more diverse workplaces, you know, companies are more profitable, they're more innovative, uh, and it's just good business. And so colorful is sort of a sort of a playbook, a roadmap, a roadmap, easy to read roadmap of how to really put your company out there, position, package and present it in a way that will be attractive for top talent of color, because it's a rough game out here. Just as professionals and top talent of color have to be ready to present themselves to employers, well, employers have to put on an amazing show as well. Because we have lots of choices. And so sometimes employers forget about that. And so Colorful sort of really lays into how do you position yourself, not only as a company, but as an individual leader? You know, how do you show up? You know, what does your profile look like on LinkedIn? You know, who are you in pictures with? You know, are you showing that you're being inclusive? You know, what's your story about? What does your summary say? You know, so Colorful talks a lot about that. And then it's just really important um, that we do a bigger, better, stronger job, Jason, of increasing racial inclusivity and diversity at all levels of the corporations. I mean, from the boardroom all the way down. And the reason why that's so critical is because our demographic and population shifts are changing so dramatically. I mean, we've got you know, members of the LGBTQ plus community. We got trans, we've got African-Americans, Latinos. I mean, it's just, you've got to figure this out. And I'm so sorry for the corporations. I know you thought your thing was only shareholder value, but (laughs) (laughs) I know it. I know that's what you believed, but unfortunately leadership matters, you know, and as leaders, you know, 130 million of us, think about that. It's only 300 million Americans. 130 million of us work in corporate America. So the influence that the CEOs, you know, have on us as individuals is vast. So unfortunately, they have to do more to keep it together. Absolutely. And Sharon, I love that you really took your core work, right, of coaching and consulting with big Fortune 500 organizations on reaching from a marketing perspective, right, multicultural and people of color communities, and are really flipping it flipping it on its head with them that they also need to market being a great employer of choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. They have to market themselves and being a a great employer of choice because we have so many choices. 
And so corporations must position must position themselves properly in the marketplace so that they can be attractive. You know, so just as us as professionals, you know, when we're out trying to land a, our dream careers, we have to, you know, step it up and show our best stuff. You know, why would I be a great fit for your organization? The same holds true for corporations, you know, so professionals of color and on other diverse applicants, you know, they need to really think about some questions to ask. And it's just a great reminder for everyone when we're looking for that role, we're so focused on making a great impression as a, as the interviewee, right. but it's also us interviewing that company. And is this a good fit for us? Is this the cultural fit? Is this the marriage that we want, right? Ab- absolutely. Am I going to be able to bring my full authentic self to work? Jason, you're really going to be making sure that you want me, you want all of me <laughs> inside of your organization. I mean, are you serious? You know, so, I mean, you, it's really important that 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 it's a good fit because yeah. you want to be at a place that you can show up and be yourself and bring your full self because that lends itself to your productivity to be able to add value to that company. If you are always holding back and code switching, as many of us do, mm-hmm. act, act one way at home, another way at work, and it gets exhausting, but many of us still do that especially black folk, because it's, you know, it's about the hair and all kinds of stuff is going on. So it's like, uh, but at any rate, but it's really important that you, you are able to be inside of an organization that really values who you are as an individual and what all of that means to the bottom line of the organization. You see really smart CEOs and CHROs and other leaders, they want all of you. They don't want you to hold anything back. And so those are the things that you, the things that you want to look for uh, when you're interviewing and asking those smart questions, you know, in nice, respectful ways. But trust me, they're beginning to expect for you to ask them. Yeah. And so, Sharon, tell me, what are like the two or three questions that you would tell everyone they need to ask a prospective employer? Well, I think that everyone needs to ask about, and even though you would have done this homework in advance, Everybody needs to ask about the board makeup. You know, who's on your board? Because that's who the CEO works for. So tell me what the board makeup, you know, do you have any, you know, members of the LGBTQ plus community on your board? Do you have African-Americans on your board? You know, is it a diverse group? Can you tell me more about who's on the board? Yeah. Okay. And then secondly, do you have, you know, I would say the same thing. Can you tell me about the makeup of your C-suite? Because, you know, and you want to ask that question because it begins to let you know their commitment to increasing diversity of all types and racial inclusivity at all levels of the organization. It'll just tell you right away. Yeah. And then you also, as a third bonus, you want to you wanna find out about their employee resource groups. You know, do you have serious employee resource groups with executive sponsors, you know, and what impact have they had on the organization or you expect them to have, for example, if they're newly formed? So you want to know those things because it'll tell you a lot. And then if you don't want to be as specific as that, you can go. You know, I know you have some DEI initiatives that you've been working on. Can you tell me about a few? 
Absolutely. Something like that, you know. The power of a great open-ended question. And you will know right away if that's if it's a good fit values-wise for you. Absolutely. So Sharon, I know that you have been doing this work for over 20 years, but talk to me a little bit about, you know, your early career and how you got here. What would you consider some of your big career breakthroughs? Yeah, I, (laughs) Jason. So yeah, so I am an old radio chick. Okay. I come from radio. You know, lots of bands and artists and and promos and late nights and stuff. Uh, So when I graduated from college, I really thought that I wanted to be on the radio. I thought I wanted to make a living as a broadcaster. But then I found out they didn't make enough money, Jason. And I'm like, like, Lord have mercy, I'm going to be broke. And my dad was, he was like, you're not coming back home. So (laughs) don't even go there. So I had So I had to figure out how to make a living. And someone said, Sharon, you should go into radio sales because it's 100% commission. You're great with people. You'll be able to do promotions. And so I decided to do sales. And so that's how I got started in my sales career. And I worked for an African-American. Well, I worked for a radio station that targeted the African-American consumer the number one radio station in the market in St. Louis, Missouri. And we were just killing the game, right? You know, advertisers coming from everywhere. We're doing great. But then I'm like, but I'm still not getting my fair share of the advertising dollars. As we, you know, I started to dig in there a little bit more and I'm like, we're doing great, but we're not doing as great as that, that pop station down the road. Yeah. Number one. They're number 10. So why is my share one-tenth? So I started to investigate that. And that was the first time that I knew and that I started to experience that that the African-American dollar wasn't valued in the same way. So it was an awakening for me as a young, young salesperson. And so my very white, very smart um, general manager said, listen, this is how we fight this you will learn everything you can about African-American and Black consumer patterns. And we're going to sell the smart way and talk about the the, the uh, consumer spending of the African-American consumer and how many dollars that are in the marketplace and how they're leaving those dollars on the table. And I started to get really intrigued by that and started to you know dig in. And so instead of me going into a... Um, ad agency or a uh, advertiser and saying, you know, I work for the number one station. You need to give me money. Now I'm really smart. You know, I work for the number one station in the market. We target the African-American consumer. You know, there's a half a million African-Americans. This was in St. Louis. In St. Louis, the buying power is, you know, over a billion dollars. We over in these areas. And this product, you know, that you're selling makes sense for my station. And here's why. So I had to get really smart and talented around consumerism and the marketing. So that's how I got started. And uh, and then I also had um, nightclubs as a lot of clients, you know, so and that's where I began and concerts. And so that's where I started to hang out with uh, musicians and get interested in music and and that sort of thing. And and then I had a a boyfriend who loved music and wanted to move to Minneapolis to work for Prince. 
<laughs> That's a good dream. But he did. He's a guitar player, excellent guitar player. And I'm like, there is nothing. In, it's just like I told Prince. I'm like, there's nothing in Minneapolis but Prince and Snow and Cold. And I just and there ain't <laughs> and there ain't no and there ain't no black people. Okay, so what what's going on? Why are we doing this? So, but anyway, single, no kids. We just left, came up here. And so again, no black radio stations. So commercial radio stations that could hire me. I'm like, oh my God, how am I gonna make a living? You know? <laughs> so he was gigging and doing fine. And so I ended up uh, landing a job at KDWB Radio, which is part of the iHeart family of radio stations now. And I said, I don't need a paycheck. Just give me the phone book, 100% commission. I just need to roll. And so that's what they did. And one of the accounts was Glam Slam. Mm. Mm, Glam Slam, for those of you who are listening that don't know, was one of Prince's nightclubs. And so when I moved to Minneapolis, I, I mean, I knew Prince, I, you know, but I wasn't a Prince fan. So I, uh, they said, Sharon, you got to get Glam Slam on the air. They need to be on our station. I'm like, absolutely. And so it took me about three or four weeks to land the account. And they gave me about, I want to say it was a $50,000 buy uh, for commercials on the radio station. And so after about six months, I was in the club on the second level. Glam Slam had a nice second level VIP. And there was this area, and you can only imagine what it looked like, you guys. That was only for, <laughs> that was only for Prince. He only sat there, so you can just imagine, right? This booth, and so just you, whatever you imagine, that's exactly what it is. So one night, I'm in the club, and I get a tap on my shoulder, Jason, and he says, "The boss wants to see you." The boss? I'm like, my boss ain't hardly up in this club. Okay, <laughs> I told my boss, and he definitely is asleep. And so, and they're like, "No, no, no." the boss. I'm like, oh, and I look around and I see Prince sitting in his area that you imagine what that looks like. So I go over, I have a seat. He, no, I go over, he asked me to have a seat. And, um, and I did have a seat and he doesn't talk much. He just says, you're doing a great job with the club. Thank you. So, okay. <laughs> That's sort of how it went. He says, um, can you meet with me at 3.15? And I'm like, I have plans tomorrow. You know, he says, no, in a few hours. Uh, <laughs> so AM. AM. AM, Jason. AM, right? So, so, you know, so anyway, short story short, I ended up meeting with him, even though it was a totally against my, you know, I'm like, I didn't get it, but it was too intriguing not to. So I grabbed a girlfriend, went out there. And so he asked me if I would come work for him. And that, and so that's what happened. So basically I ended up working for Prince, lost my boyfriend. But that's okay. I think that was a good trade. That was, was a, that was a good trade up. So he's the one that actually wanted to work for him. I ended up working for him, and it was the best two years, two and a half years or so of my entire life. Okay, you know, so I learned so much, and I saw him. I guess it was about six months. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I saw him three months before he passed, but before that, I was six months, and I had, was telling him. I said. I learned so much from you. I should have written you a check. And he says, I'm still taking checks, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it was, it was just good. So that's how, so, so, so in now in Minneapolis, I'm thinking 19 fortune 500 companies, Jason, Target, Best Buy, Medtronic, United Healthcare, Deluxe Checks, like everybody's here. And I'm looking around, black professionals are coming in and in about 18 months, they're leaving like crazy. I'm like, what is happening? 
They didn't, they were scared they couldn't get weren't gonna get married, have no babies. You know, it's cold in the winter. You don't want to be by yourself. Up in the cold. <laughs> okay, so so they were coming and didn't feel that sense of connection. Okay, so I said, but no, 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 too much money here. We got to fix this. So that's when I launched my company called the Ray McKenzie Group, and I launched it with a two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollar piece of business from the Star Tribune, which is a local paper. That's how I started my company. So I identified an opportunity, which was we need to figure out how to do a better job at building relationships with communities of color. We need to do a better job at making sure we're issuing a proper invitation for consumers of color to buy our product. We need to do a better job of issuing a better invitation of positioning ourselves in the marketplace to attract and retain talent of color. So think about that. So I took that opportunity because nobody was doing it. And that's how I launched my business. And then it's going really well until 2008. So y'all all all know what happened in 2008. Don't don't try to be funny. You know what happened in 2008 was just devastating for so many of us, especially small businesses. And guess what the first budget is to go when you're doing so DEI, right? It was like diversity, equity, and inclusion. What, Sharon? Oh no, we're, you know we're about to we're trying to keep our doors open. You know we're you know all the banks and all the people I was doing business with they just you know they cared about me but they just were scared. Yeah. And so, but this is the importance of having strong relationships and a big, huge network. You know, and awesome contact list. You know, with it and back in the day was the Rolodex. Okay. <laughs> just saying. So I lost everything. You know, I lost my home, and you know, most of my business, my car, and it was me and my mom and my daughter, and they were looking to me to figure things out. And I'm like, Lordy, have mercy. And so I never even thought about getting a job. You know, I just figured this was a little punk recession and we'll figure it out. Right. Yeah. And so somebody told me eventually, they said, Sharon, I think you were temporarily insane because you weren't quite getting it. Uh, but <laughs> you just, you were. <laughs> But I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll we'll work with that. But at any rate, I I didn't want to go to work for someone because I was an I was an entrepreneur, and my first paycheck I ever received really was working for Prince. Everything else was 100% commission, so it was always I, I you know I got that, and so so but it ended up that uh, Greg Cunningham, who was a very good friend of mine, who's a chief diversity officer today at uh, U.S. Bank at the time, was my number one client at Target, and he says, Sharon, we're not coming back. You have to get work. And I'm like, no. <laughs> but at any rate, I did. He, he, I ended up having to go back to work. I, uh, he helped me land a development director job at UNCF, United Negro College Fund, where mind is a terrible thing to waste. And so my job was to help raise, well, not to help, to raise all of the money <laughs> uh, from this region to help low to moderate income students get to and through college and hopefully choose a historically black college and university. So I raised $10 million and it was the best, one of the best experiences that I had because it gave me an opportunity, Jason, to maintain the relationships with my clients because my clients were also donors. Yeah, absolutely. And you were cheating towards your strengths because you are like, sales superstar. I w- I'm a salesperson and they convinced me to take it. They needed me. And I, that felt good. And they weren't here. They were in New York. I'd have any bosses here. So they, I knew I could work it out like it's, it was my own business. So it felt 
entrepreneurial, if you will. Yeah. But you got to know when to leave the party. You know how it is, Jason. You know, should I have that last drink or should I just carry my butt home? <laughs> you know, you got to know when to leave the party. And so I probably stayed a year or two too long, but I, I, but, but I knew in my gut that it was time to go. And I kept doing these excuses like, okay, my daughter will be out of college in a minute. I just need one more year. Just, you know what I'm saying? But I knew I needed to get myself back out there and do my gift because it's a sin when you don't share your gift with the world. So I was only doing partial gifts at UNCF and I felt like I had overstayed my time there, but we had good time. And so on January 15th, 2017, I gave a speech in front of 2,500 people at the Minneapolis Convention Center. And I said, you know, I too have a dream. I have a dream that I need to relaunch my company, the Ray McKenzie Group, but only this time it is going to be 100% focused on making sure that we don't leave any of our treasure on the field. We're going to make sure that we are connecting and building strong relationships with top talent of color. We're not going to lose them to our competitive markets like Austin and Chicago and Charlotte and Dallas. We're going to work hard and keep them here. And that's what I'm going to do. And so, uh, you know, said on this day of service, I'm going to pledge to you to be of service. I will have a service mentality and help each and every one of you do a better job at getting this right, because I know exactly what we need to do to maintain our competitive edge in this region. So that's how we relaunched. And uh, here I am. Yes. And I love that you made this declaration, right? And a public declaration. Public, of, I, like, had to, I had to do it. People. I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do? <laughs> so what I just, what did I just do? And what I did was I made a commitment to my region. You know, I made a commitment to underrepresented members of our population that some people just can't do it. You know, that's why we have leaders. <laughs> <laughs> Leadership matters. Representation matters. Leaders know how to get things done and we need them. And I was hiding behind that, you know, and I needed to step out and take my rightful place in this world and do what it is that I know that I need to do. And that is make sure that top talent of color is connected to employers who are serious about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that they would have the backs of those professionals that decided to work for them. And that was, that was important to me. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we, and cause the unemployment rate is so lopsided, you know, yeah. when it comes to professionals of color, when it, you know, in, in all of us, you know, all diverse segments of the population is just a hot mess. And we need to do a better job at being intentional about fixing that. The thing that upsets me so much is that CEOs just don't decide. Can you just decide? Like, wake up and decide. Here's what I want my organization to look like, be like, feel like. I need three more gay people over here. I need five blacks over there. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I, I know I'm simplifying it, you guys, but it really is sort of like that. You know, when you take a look at what your holes and gaps are, just fill them, just fill them. Absolutely. You know, because that's just going to make you better. It's just going to make you better. And stop worrying about what other people think. You can't change the heart of a racist. Just do what's best for your company. 
and it, it'll all work itself out. Oh, but you know, Sharon, we got to get by. Listen, trust me, when you start leading, they're going to be bought in because the, because the CEO has laid out the great business decision and business reason as to why this makes sense for all of us, not just some of us, for all of us. Absolutely. So Sharon, talk to me a little bit about your executive brand or your brand in general, because it feels like that brand has opened numerous doors over the years for you. How do you describe your brand? I think that it is one of safe space, Mm -hmm. trust, Mm -hmm. reliability, over-delivering. Everybody knows when they do business with Sharon Smith, I can sign you, they are going to get more than they bargained for. They're going to, I'm going to always over deliver. I have a reputation for producing flawless events and, and just really making it easy for the client. So I would say my executive brand is one of, you know, she gets shit done. Yeah. And is that why you think Prince tapped you on, had you tapped on the shoulder that night? I do because he is about getting stuff done Mm -hmm. and he saw what I did in six months and I don't work for the club. You know, at the time I didn't work, you know, I worked for the radio station. Yeah. You, I mean, you were creating value, creating value. Right. And he, the, I need you in my life, you know, was his thing. And, and, um, and I think he did recognize that. And I, in fact, I'm sure of it because as we tapped other people after me, I can see how he did his homework and said, you know, we need that person. Absolutely. He just sort of picked you. Yeah. And I know, you know, part of your brand and also what you preach, right, is really about being able to bring your best authentic self to work. How have you managed that over your career and balanced, right? I mean, earlier in your career, it, it's it's harder. How have you managed that throughout the years? I can tell you. I can tell you how. My mom. Mm-hmm. So as a black woman growing up in a small town, all black town, Kenlock, Missouri, yeah, next, you know, uh, same, same neighborhood as Jennifer Lewis with one N. <laughs> we grew up in this Jennifer fabulous, the fabulous Jennifer Lewis. We were neighbors. Yeah. Uh, you know, Representative Maxine Waters also uh, lived in Kenlock as well. It was important to my mother to make sure that my brother and I, because we lived in an all black neighborhood, understood what the world looked like. Mm-hmm. And understood, you know, she said to me, she said, baby, I have to love you and your brother. They don't. Mm. Let me repeat that. She says, I have to love you and your brother. They don't. So we're going to make sure that we're, we're, we're doing the things where you will be attractive. You need to be a good corporate citizen. You need to be a good friend. You need to be a good rider on the bus, a good student. So have a service mentality. Make sure that you're kind and nice. And we're going to go out and we're going to meet good white folk and teach you how to behave and how to meet them, you know. Mm-hmm. So we would have rehearsals. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so just... Pretend you this is a senator. Just pretend this is a governor. Just pretend this is a mayor. Just pretend. So we would rehearse. That's how to meet good white folk, my mom called them. And so when we were at school, 
you know, and the bus driver, and we, we knew how to make friends. So our, our job was to make friends with people who didn't look like us so that we can learn and grow. And from that early age, and I put it in my book, Colorful, that is the best advice that I can give anyone. Make sure that you have a friend circle. Be intentional about it, too. That, that doesn't look like you. Doesn't make as much money as you do. Not the same sexual orientation as you. You know, it's it's got to work. It's got to it's got to it's got to it's got to work that way. That's how we proximity is how we gain empathy. Mm-hmm. So now, as a, a professional, you know, with my own business, uh, making payroll every two weeks. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> It is important for my clients, since I'm in the DEI space with everything that's going on, George Floyd, the pandemic, you know, killings of, you know, black men, you know, in the street, all this stuff, right? People need to feel safe with me. There can't be any recrimination, you know, and and guilt and all that kind of stuff when you have a conversation with Sharon Smith, I can sign you. That's not going to get anything done. So my mom from an early age taught me how to do that. And so it's followed me throughout my life. And so I was just talking to Richard Davis the other day, former CEO of U.S. Bank, current CEO of Make-A-Wish America, who's a dear friend of mine. And Richard was saying, you know, Sharon, I just couldn't have asked anybody else these questions. He says, I'm so glad that I had you in my life, that I have you in my life as my friend to be able to sound off with and get some things straight. So that I won't step on any landmines and I can do a better job inside of my organization. I can be a stronger leader. So we have to be in a position to make people feel safe. It's a guiding principle. Absolutely. And so you grew up with some remarkable women, right? Yes. Maxine Waters, one of my favorite. Yes, Auntie Maxine. Jennifer Lewis, of course, amazing entertainer. And so many people are experiencing her brand new on on Blackish. That's right. What was in the water in Missouri to get this uh, <laughs> awesomeness in your friend group? You, you know what? You know, I just think, you know, Kinlock was a special place. Lots of strong, powerful, educated uh, African-Americans, you know, very smart because we had our own schools. Everything was there that you needed. You know, it was just like, you know, wasn't it wasn't Black Wall Street because we were poor, you know, mm-hmm. but we had everything we needed. OK, but <laughs> we were all there. We felt like it was Black Wall Street. And lots of church and entertainment. And, you know, so Jennifer sang in the choir. You know, I sang in the choir. Not as well as Jennifer, but I sang (laughs) in the choir. I was trying to keep up with her. Uh, But, you know, and so lots of church time, you know, and I and and lots of plays and opportunity in the schools to to really showcase your craft. And I think, you know, Jennifer took advantage of all of that. Okay, uh, that we had to offer. And I just think we just had so many powerful role models that pushed us. You know, I lived in a neighborhood that if you did something wrong, honey, by the time you got home, you was already in trouble because they had called the house, told your mom, told you that, you know, so it was very close knit. You know, we cared about one another and wanted everybody to get up and get out, you know, and do better. And I know that you, you had told Prince before he passed that, Right. You you could pay him from everything you learned. What what was the biggest thing you learned working for Prince? Excellence. Mm. Don't half ass it. 
you, I know, I know you've heard this saying, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. But let me just say, Prince was about excellence. He wanted to deliver for his fans. People pay good money. It needs to sound like the record. We need to rehearse it until we get it right. This is what the world deserves. This is what it needs to look like. This is what it needs to feel like. And we need to record it to make sure we review it to see what the mistakes were. Mm -hmm. He understood the importance of delivering and making a connection to people who paid. He cared that they paid. And he wanted to deliver the best product that he could. He was so open. There are lots of open parties at Prince's home and studios. You just come to the party. You know, if you know about it, just come to the party. And so, so my biggest, my biggest lesson was um, excellence and to understand your lane. Mm. It was important to Prince that we all understood our roles, even though we wore many hats. What, is your role really, you know, you guys think we're selling these records. That ain't what we're doing. This is about the experience. Mm. Right. Yeah. So we were in some financial trouble. You know, this is right around the time where Prince was wearing slave on his neck. And so I needed to get a little cash from him to be able to pay some bills. Right. Prince wasn't broke. (laughs) He has several pots of money. We just need a little money from him. And so when I went to ask him about it, it was my turn to ask. You know what he said to me? You know, I said, hey, you know, we need to borrow, you know, we're a little short in the studios. We need to borrow a little money. And he said, I play the guitar. And he dismissed me. That's what he said. I play the <laughs> guitar. Basically, that lesson was, Sharon, you said that you could handle this. You are the best one in my organization to handle this. What are you over here talking to me for? Mm. handle it. Or if you need something from me, have a plan. So what he taught me was, okay, if we need something, have a plan. Let's do a concert to make money. Let's write, uh, sell records to something, you know, don't just like give me a plan. Yeah. So I learned about the importance of how to, how to make it all work, the value yeah. of it all. Don't just go to him and say, can you write me a check? You know, just because you can yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was fascinating. So I would have to give him the plan of how we're going to get what we needed to take care of our responsibilities. And so I had to think on my feet and, and take care of it. Absolutely. So Sharon, we just have some quick final questions for you. Rapid fire. Okay. Ready. Your favorite brand, since we were talking all about your brand. Skinny pop. Ah! <laughs> I am addicted to it. I love me some skinny pop. Uh, if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? Oh, Mercedes. And why? Oh, just because it's just just the way it, it's just so smooth. And it's just, it says everything. I just love Mercedes, the Mercedes Benz. So smooth. And finally, You've given us so many good career advice nuggets, but what's the best career advice you'd like to pass on to our listeners? The best career advice that I would like to pass on to your listeners would be don't take no from someone who can't say yes. 
And why is that? That is because sometimes we quit too soon. Ah, I don't think you'd be a good fit. You know, so maybe you shouldn't consider applying for that. That's not even, may not even be the hiring manager. You know, don't let anybody tell you your value. Know your value. Do your homework, make it happen. And that's it. You, do, you should never take no from somebody who can't say yes. Just keep going for it. Follow your gut and intuition and be prepared. You know, my mom told me, if you're always ready, you don't have to get ready. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sharon, thank you for knowing your value and sharing all of this great advice with us. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. And I'll be back in a couple of moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Well, I don't know about you, but I just loved talking to Sharon Smith Akinsanya. I mean, all of these stories are just spectacular. But you know what I really took away from what she said? It is the power of your network. Now, we've talked about this in the past, but your network and your exposure is the key to making your brand turn into a career breakthrough. Just think of the power of Sharon's network. When she was having trouble, it was her network that helped pull her out and get her to that next breakthrough. So here's your bit of homework. I want you to go and evaluate your network, and I want you to make sure that you are serving them because you simply can't ask for help from your network unless you've paid it forward by depositing money in the bank. Well, that's our show. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. And of course, I'd love for you to take a moment and leave a comment and rate the show. Now, follow me on social media. I'm on all platforms at Jason Patria. And be sure to reach out on LinkedIn so that you can get the latest on how to lead with your brand. And remember, in your career, don't be a commodity like coffee. Be a super premium brand just like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.